He's risen. That's right. He has risen. Oh, wonderful songs, wonderful truth, and uh, praise the Lord. Hey, I want to begin this morning talking about last Sunday evening. Uh, last Sunday evening was uh, really cool. I mean, here we are at church, three weeks old, and last Sunday evening we, we had our first teen hangout, and uh, I got to go because age follows the reality of your maturity, and uh, you're as old as you act, so I uh, was there, but hey, I want to tell you, we had 25 teens there, and many of them, Sunday morning was the first time they'd ever been here. Hey, adults, that takes guts, doesn't it? And uh, it was just a delight. It was so fun to sit and watch them just hanging out together, having fun, getting to know each other. And uh, Greg, during about a 30-minute God talk time, opened up the question with this. uh, The statistical fact that two out of three teens end up leaving the church. And I'm going to term it this way. End up seeing the Christian life as irrelevant because they end up just not going back afterwards. Two out of three. Two out of three. Well, it was an interesting night because there was a little bit of Dance Dance Revolution going on during the Weathon time. And uh, I definitely do not have the gift um, up there in the gray shirt. But hey, I gave it a shot. Anyway, I want to tell you something. It was very interesting sitting around talking with them. Because two out of three teens end up seeing Christianity as irrelevant when they leave home. I just want to say something. As a pastor, I'm sitting there at night and I'm going, 25 teens. I mean, this so rocks. Here's all these kids hanging out together. And they were just talking. I want to tell you, it was, it was just so fun. Teens, way to go. And there they are there. And they're hanging out and all this. And I sit there and I look around the room and I go, two-thirds of you, almost 70% of you later on are going to go, this whole Christian thing, this whole Jesus thing, this whole Bible thing, whatever. And I'm just like, Something's got to be done. I mean, what is going on that that would be the case? I mean, some adults are like, get all honked off about that. Well, they just got bad attitudes. Hey, listen to me. Teens are incredibly perceptive. And I want to tell every teen later in life that I've ever talked with, every young adult who doesn't go to church later on, and this whole Christian God thing just becomes irrelevant to them, they have a reason. Now, you may not think it's a good reason, but they have a reason. And, and I think there's some reasons why. And, and, uh, and I just bring some of these up because each of these contain a little bit of reality, a little bit of truth, but yet it's kind of like something good that's gone way overboard. Now, let me just kind of hit some things here, okay? First, I want to call it because of Cool Whip Christianity. It's the kind of Christianity where the whole pie-in-the-sky, lightweight, touchy-feely, lots of fluff Jesus. It's the I got my thing going, and I would love to have a little plop of Jesus on me so that I can just go a little bit sweeter and have a little bit more fun doing my thing. And I want to tell you, teens oftentimes, they see that. And they're like, what's with this? Come on, I want some meat. I mean, I love Cool Whip. I love Cool Whip. Okay, but Cool Whip all the time, come on. 
Another is today is because Christianity oftentimes in, in church today gives the idea, I'm calling it Lexus Christianity. It, it's, it's what is the, the health, wealth, prosperity, American, uh, uh, I want Jesus because Jesus is going to give me everything I need and want and going to get me there in big time class. Because Jesus is here to give everybody everything they want. Haven't you heard that? Like, watch TV. Okay, Is that what it's all about? It's the kind of thing where we give teens sometimes the, the perspective that Jesus guarantees I'm never going to get sick, I'm always going to get A's, I'm going to make six figures right out of college, I'm going to have a company paid for Lexus at the same time, and I am going to marry the perfect hottie spouse that thinks I am the king or the queen of the universe. If you have Jesus. Come on. I.e., Paul wrote Philippians from jail. I think he has a little bit to say about that. Uh, Another is what I'm going to call out-of-touch Christianity. You know, it's the kind of thing, if I come to Jesus, and I love Jesus and live for Jesus, I'm going to be socially inept, I'm going to be irrelevant, I'm going to be boring, I'm going to marry the person that needs to go on the show, what not to wear, and I'm going to be disconnected from the mainstream. I just want to tell you, Jesus rocked. In fact, starting next week, we're going to start a study through the book of Mark. People wanted to be around him. They flocked to be around him. He was relevant to the time. And sometimes shame on us for not portraying Jesus that way. Uh, Another is interrogation Christianity. It's kind of, I'm the Christian and I'm mad about it. And I'm going to make sure I'm going to get in your face all the time with like no grace, but just lay it on the line until you see the light. And sometimes it's like, dude, I mean, like where's the love going on? And I just, sometimes that comes across, doesn't it? in our world today. And the other is, in fact, last night we watched a little bit of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's called Golden Ticket Christianity. It's the kind of thing, I got the golden ticket to heaven, but from here until then, whatever. I mean, I'm all about Jesus because I get to go to heaven. But outside of that, it's pretty irrelevant to my life. And I just want to say, hey, listen, golden ticket reality is, yeah, we get to go to heaven, person gets to go to heaven through Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, it, it's not just about getting to heaven, as we're going to see today. It's about everything. It's about everything. And last, because it's Easter, there's a hollow bunny Christianity. I had to fit you know, so, some, this in somehow here. In, in other words, it's the kind of Christianity that, that people and adults or teens look at and they go, man, that looks like the real deal. And then they get up and they like grab it and squeeze it a little bit or, or like, like bite into it. And it's like, what's with that? I mean, like hollow chocolate bunnies are so disappointing, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you conned me. I want the real dove chocolate, six inches thick kind of stuff, right? Yeah, amen. Okay. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I want to have. And yet, seriously, oftentimes, teens are just so burdened about this reality, sometimes they don't see that. And let's take reality for that, okay? We don't want to be a church here that's hollow bunny 
Christianity. We want to be the kind of church here where, man, I just want to bite it thick and hard. And I'm growing and changing. I realize that. But we're getting thicker and thicker and thicker, looking more like Jesus. In fact, the last two weeks, we took a look at Job. That was a thick chocolate bunny for Jesus. When things came along and the pressure started pushing, he didn't pop through. Well, he kind of did later on. But God is gracious. And he was a thick chocolate guy for Jesus. Hey, listen, teens, I want to tell you something. Jesus is cool. And you choose to worship and to walk and to work for Jesus. I'm telling you, regardless of all the other kind of stuff going on out there, I want to tell you something. It's the real deal thing. Hey, adults, maybe for you, you're in the same reality. Like Jesus, whatever. Uh, kind of cute. Hey, listen, this is what I think today would just really honor Christ today. Is if today we went to the scriptures and tried to, dis- tried to connect it all together because there is a great disconnect going on. Don't, don't you think that would be really good for all of us? And in fact, today, if you come in today and you're kind of like, Jesus, Shemesh, you know, I'm not quite sure what's going on. I am so glad you're here today. Because we're going to go and we're going to try and connect just the reality of what's what. Easter, Schmeister. No, Easter, he is risen. Everything is different because of that. Okay? Now, for some of you today, there's not going to be anything new. But it's going to be a William Randolph Hearst kind of day. You see, William Randolph Hearst, one day a long time ago, and this is a true story, William Randolph Hearst was looking through an art magazine, and he came upon a piece of art that he was like, God have, God have. And he had a whole warehouse of art and just massive priceless pieces of art that's out there. And he saw this one piece, and he was like, got to have that one. So he calls in his, I don't know what, art searching dude? I don't know what you call that. I don't have all that kind of art. Okay, But he brings him in, and he says, listen, I want for you to go, and I want for you to find this piece of art. And in fact, this piece of art is so important. You go wherever you have to go, do whatever you have to do, pay whatever you have to pay, and get it because I want it. He's like, hey, sounds good to me. I get commission. So he goes off. And he literally scours the world trying to find this piece of art. Comes back a while later. True story. Comes into William Randolph Hearst. He says, I found it. I found it. He's like, yes, where? It's in your own art warehouse. He owned it. And he completely forgot what he owned. I mean, this magnificent piece of art, this priceless wonder. And amongst all the busyness of life and stuff, he lost track of what he had. And you know what? For some of us today, that's where we're going to go. And that's good, because we need to be reminded of the grand blessing that God has laid before us. With that in mind, would you open your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2 is towards the back part of your Bible. And if you're not sure even where that is, go to the front part of your Bible, find the contents page, and find the page and go to it. I love people who are trying to figure out where things are in the Bible, because that means they want to find out, okay? Just smack the person next to you and ask them what page they're on. All right, maybe their Bible won't be quite the same. 
uh, with page numbers. But uh, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. And as we're going there, let me warn you about something. These next 15 minutes are going to be hard. I'm just telling you straight up. These next 15 minutes are going to be like a boxing match in your face. And I don't say that by me to you. I say that from the scriptures to you and I. Now, we're in a theater. And oftentimes you can be in a movie and like after about, let's just say in this context, 15 minutes, you're like, dude, I'm out. And you get up and you walk out. Can I just say this? Hang in your seat for at least the first 15 minutes because it really, really, really gets cool after that. Okay? So the first 15 minutes are going to be hard. But around here, you know what? We're about the Bible, aren't we? Don't you want to just be about the Bible? I mean, let, like, wouldn't it be the kind of thing where it's like, hey, God, if you were right here, would you just tell us? Would you just talk to us and let us know? Whether it's hurts or whether it's great. And so often today, it's just all this, woo, Jesus fluff. And let's just go to the Bible and let's be real and let's try and search out the scriptures, what it says. You ready for that? I, I've warned you, it's going to hurt. Love you. Going to hurt. Okay, you got the idea. Let's get going. Let's pray before we dig. God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that your words to us, the Bible, it is so practical and so real and so honest that we don't have to wonder what you think. We don't. You tell us. And right now we want to say thank you for that. Lord, we don't have to wonder what you want us to do. You tell us. Father, the truth of the matter is, forgive us for not holding your words high in our view. This morning, may your words be big to us here so that you're big to us here. God, show up here. Help us. We want to connect the dots. But we can't do it alone. It's all about you. May that be the case this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, let's read the first three verses together, and then we'll come back and we'll do some unpacking. You ready? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. By the way, if you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got some people who can walk around, just flag them down. They'll give you a Bible to be able to look at. If you don't own a Bible, keep it. If you forgot to bring it today, borrow it, okay? Because we love you getting in the Bible, okay? So just flag them down as they're doing it. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, Paul did not get the memo or a copy of the book, How to Win and Influence People. Because take a look at this here. Take a look. How does he start out? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead. Hey, thanks, dude. 
Really appreciate the kindness. Now, let's unpack this. Here we go. And you, who's the you? The you, go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. To this, he's writing this letter to the saints who are in Ephesus, in this area in Asia Minor. He is writing this to believers in Jesus Christ. He's not writing this to people who hate God. He is not writing this to people who could give a rip about God. He is writing this to people who love and are followers and are members of the family of God through Jesus Christ. He is writing to believers. That's very important to understand in this passage here. Who's he writing to? Believers. Uh, You and I. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Paul is writing this right smack dab to you and right smack dab to me. Okay, let's make this relevant here as we go. And you, and you were, what? Dead. Okay, feeling the love, aren't you? And you were dead, dead, spiritual death here. He's writing to them, he's saying, listen, and you were dead. And then he goes on to say, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now understand, the translation here, I don't have time to go into it too far, but I'll just, let me term it this way. He, it could be translated like this. And you were dead in your sins and your sins. Now he could have just, been, he could have just said, and you were dead in your sins. But Paul's emphasis here is trying to hit home some very hard, hot, and heavy truth right here. And he's saying to these believers in Christ, you were dead in sins and sins. I mean, sins on top of sins. Okay? He's going right at it here. By the way, chapter 2 is in the middle of what chapters? 1 and 3. Excellent. Excellent. Now, understand in Ephesians, chapters 1 and 3 are what I'm going to call the thinking chapters. These are the chapters where Paul is going at people's theology. He's helping their thinking. He is giving them instruction. The latter three have to do with the practical application of real life of this thinking. And in fact, probably in the fall, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. We'll cover that later on this fall. But chapter 2 is in the thinking part. So Paul is going after their thinking. And he starts out this paragraph of wanting people to know this. You were dead in sins and sins. From God's perspective, you were dead. Dead. Utter dead. I'm not liking this so far. I'm really not. And the bad news is, is you were dead. Okay, now what kind of dead? Let's keep on going here. Let's unpack it. Okay, um, illustration. In the realm of sins and sins. Now, if I were to be down at the RCA Dome, uh, last night, by the way, great game, Brownsburg. When I was, if I was down at the RCA Dome last night and I called Karen at 10 o'clock at night and I said, hey, babe, uh, Karen's my wife, just make sure. I said, hey, babe, um, I am down in the dome, at the dome. Now, there's actually two ways that could be understood. One way is this, and this is not the way that this passage is talking about. One way is is I could be outside of the dome, and I could be out on the street. Maybe I was at the library. (laughs) 
uh, or, <laughs> or maybe I was somewhere else down there, and I was calling her, and I was referencing myself to the dome. I was not part of the dome. I was not inside the dome. I was around the dome, and frankly, had nothing to do with the event at the dome, but I was referring to the area of the dome. I want to tell you something. That is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. In other words, he is not saying, you were dead uh, and sins kind of was in the area where you are. In other words, you are detached from it. Here's what Paul was saying. I'm calling Karen. Karen, I am at the dome. Here's what's going on. I am in the dome. The game is going on. There's three minutes left in the basketball game, and I am cheering and having a hoot, and I am just screaming my head off, having a blast dressed in purple and white, and, you know, whatever the colors are, and just dressed as just having a great old time there. I'm cheering. I'm excited with what's going on. I am in the dome, a part of it, participating in a cheerleader, a fan, and one of the members of it. And in the Greek form here, Paul and his readers know very clearly, Paul isn't just saying, folks, this. You know what? Sin's kind of a bummer for you. I know it's getting in your way. Paul is saying, listen, hey, you and I, we are dead because we are in sin, participants of it, willingly so. Well, what am I talking about? Well, let's keep on going in the text here. Let's keep on going. Because he, he describes this in realm verse 2 in which you once walked i mean this is the kind of situation you were dead we were walking dead kind of a weird way to say it but that's the reality walking dead you once walked in it following the course of this world can, can you just see it the following thing now uh, let me rephrase that because that wasn't quite the way he was talking. See, because this way it kind of means like I have no control. No, no. Actually, what this is really talking about is this. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Seriously, in the form of the way the text is referring to this, he is talking about we are walking in it. It's all over. Woo! Sin and death. Sin and death. That's the kind of reality that Paul is communicating here. Before God, we are dead in our sin. And we are walking dead. And what are we walk, following after? We're following after the world. And what's the next verse statement say? We're following the prince of the world. Hey, listen. What he's saying, folks, is... is to these people, he's saying, you were utterly spiritually dead before God. And you were walking like the rest of the world. This is just the norm. And you were following Satan himself. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. No, I wasn't. Uh, I wish you weren't. And I wish I wasn't. Believe me, I would love to go take a razor blade and cut some of these verses out. Because I don't like what they say. But we want to be straight up with God, right? And this is what God says. Friends, this is bad news. This is like really bad news. You're dead before God. Alone, we're dead. And we're walking dead. And not only are we walking dead, but we're living dead. Because he goes on to say, verse 3, among whom we all once lived. And look, in the passions of the flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. It's getting better, isn't it? I mean, he's just hugging these folks with just honest truth. With real. Hey, teens, I I, I want for you to know, because I started out referring to Sunday night. I want for you to know, I love you. God loves you. But here's the reality. You are a sinner separated from God because of your sin. Hey, adults, guess what? Ditto. Ditto. And I just want to tell you, a lot of people don't want to talk about that nowadays. They just want to talk about Cool Whip, Lexus, all that kind of wonderful stuff. But aren't you glad you know what God thinks? Well, sort of. <laughs> right? Sort of. I mean, this is not easy stuff. Listen, all of us, our passions, our desires, our mind, our nature, I want for you to understand this is talking about a term called total depravity. Folks, you and I, before God, are totally depraved. Totally. Front to back, top to bottom, in to out. Totally depraved. But God loves us. Totally depraved. But we're totally depraved. Total inability. Total possibility. We can't do nothing. We are living in it. Do we get that? I mean, man, Doug, that's kind of hellfire and brother. I'm really sorry. But that's the truth. And it hurts, doesn't it? Well, maybe, maybe Paul was just a little bit honked off, had a bad day when he was writing this. Let's take a look at a couple things. In fact, let's do it this way. Let's refer to a couple of these things from this standpoint. There are four responses that commonly come out of this whole scenario, this whole reality situation. And here's some of them I've got. One, God loves everyone, and this is just talking about the really bad people. I mean, this is just talking about like Hitlers and, you know, bad people. Um, Like, is anyone getting that idea this is what this passage is talking about? Because if you are, go to the left. Go to Romans chapter 3. Just flip over a couple pages if you want. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Okay, because like this is going to really become even more clear here. Verse 10, and it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Ouch! I just want to say the whole thing of, you know what, just ignore it. It's not true. I'm sorry, you can't. And if you want to, you can, but it doesn't change the fact of the truth of what's said. Another way to respond is say, well, I'm an innocent victim. Here's the way to say it. The devil made me do it. Um, you know, I, I understand, and I can go with that to a certain point. But I also want to refer to the react, reality of Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. That's me and you. Uh, and then listen to this, James 1.14. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed away by his own desire. Hey, listen, can I just put it this way? I don't even need the devil or a demon around me to sin. I've got enough of it in me. And can we stop blaming Satan? Well, ultimately, yeah, but ultimately, no. I have to take ownership for it. Listen, this hurts, doesn't it? 
I have to take it. I am a sinner. I am the one who stands before God. I am guilty. The whole excuse of God, it was his fault. God's going to go, uh, okay. What's your next reason? Uh, I'm guilty. Okay, now we're on. Now we're on. Hey, listen, folks, the devil made me do it. Yeah, maybe, but you've got enough in you and me to be able to do it. Remember last week when I was talking about the right or left? And it's like we're all bent to sin. We're all bent that way. We're all warped that way. That's just the fact of the reality. A third way is I just need to love myself more. It's the self-esteem theology of today. Hey, look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and look at all that you got to love yourself about. I'm dead serious about this one, folks. And in fact, I'm going to make a statement that may kind of honk you off at me, and I'm going to make it anyway. Here it is. I am concerned that in this generation, we are self-esteeming our young people to hell. Why do I say that? Because if I'm so good, if I just need to love myself and the great theologians like Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey and all these, I just need to love myself more. I am the hero. Um, wait till standing before a holy, righteous God. Just wait. And we're giving this idea, and I'm not saying we go around and say, you little, miserable, little sinner dirtball. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, friends, parents, are we teaching our kids about the reality of sin? Because God takes it serious. And it's all so much of self-esteem that I just need to love myself. Listen, we need to lose ourselves. And this is about me losing me and gaining me through Christ. In fact, I want to put a fourth option on the table that I think is the best option. I think is the biblical option. Help God! God, I am a sinner. I'm separated from you. I God, help. Where's that today? God, I repent. This is what I am. Help. Hey, these last 15 minutes have been awful rough, haven't they? Actually, it's been 20 minutes. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Verse 4. Two of the coolest words ever. Listen, I'm not going to apologize for tears today. This passage has so rocked me this week. We are sinners, friends. Totally depraved. For holy God. Utter, dest- utter destitution. Help! Look at verse 4. This so cool is this. What does it say? First two words. Oh, but God! Yeah, I'm getting cranked up about this. Absolutely I'm getting cranked up about this. But God! Hey, did you notice in the prior three verses the form of the verbs going on? Are they future tense, present tense, or past tense? They're past tense. (laughs) Yes. 
that means we're not stuck there. You don't have to be stuck there. You don't have to be stuck there. There's great news. Great news. But God. But God. If I had the ability, I'd just keep going, but God. But I don't know how to keep carrying it out so well like some preachers can. But God. Hey, friends. But God. But God. But God what, Doug? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Let's go. Because here's the thing. We're just going to, let's read the text. Because now in light of verses 1 through 3, the text just, ooh, it just shines. I'm serious about this. Glory in what's coming. But God, but God, being rich in mercy. Now do you see why he has to have mercy? Because of who we are in verses 1 through 3. That takes mercy. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul just wants to make sure we know what the situation was. So he restates it. Even when we're in death, God loved us. Can, I, can we like get just a little bit, yeah, God? Yeah, you know, sometimes like when we sing songs, we like raise hands during the song. Every so often, you know, it's okay to go, yeah, God, while we're in the scriptures, okay? Just want to make sure you know that, okay? And this is one of those times, yeah, God, but rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive. But God, the great news is he makes us alive. By the way, the form of the action here, or the form of, of this statement is, is he is the one who makes us alive. You don't, I don't. Yeah, but I choose predestination. Listen, from our perspective, I remember the time when I received Jesus Christ, my Lord. I chose God. From God's perspective, <laughs> God's like, Doug. Doug, you were dead. But God, from my perspective, I chose Christ. From God's perspective, he chose me. Uh, We're not going there today, but that's the reality, okay? And, And here it is. And he made us alive, spiritually alive. Are you glad if you know Christ is your Savior to be alive before God? Thank you. We are alive before God as opposed to death. And, and he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oh, we needed the grace. Oh, it was all about his grace because we didn't earn one lick of it. And out of the, oh, it just keeps getting richer and richer and richer. By grace you have been saved, verse 6. And he raised us up. We were dead and he made us alive and he raises us up with him. And get this, I love this. And he seats us with him. You have got to be kidding me. How glorious. One walking in total depravity. Utter destitution 
utter separation, total inability to please God in any kind of way. And God makes us alive, raises us up, and seats us with Christ. Goodness, glory. Those of you who know Christ as your Savior, alive. Those of you who know Christ as your Savior, raised up. Those of you who know Christ as your Savior, seated with Him. Man, that is one sweet seat. Absolutely. Do you know what you have in Christ? This is what we have in Christ. Loving it. Loving it. Let's finish off here. Seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And verse 7, so that, purpose statement. Okay, all this stuff is taking place, but there is a purpose. There is an immeasurable opportunity out of all of this that's been said. So that in the coming ages, he, the Lord, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Listen, folks, there is an opportunity to show the grace of God. Because there is nothing else in this whole situation that takes place other than the grace of God, big and mighty and deep and wide and bold and great. There's an immeasurable opportunity as well for the great, not only the grace and kindness towards us. Now I see by the kindness in Christ. Verse 6, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Are we getting the saved thing? Are we getting that issue? In other words, this. I'm going to tell you, I have not seen God. I have not heard God. I'd love to hear him talk. I wonder what it sounds like. I don't know. But I want to tell you something. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. And there is a God that is holy and righteous. There is a God that is merciful and loving and gracious. And all that are dead in sins and sins can be made alive. Have you come to the point, not where you just know about, but you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? I am talking about the help factor. I am talking about the, help me, God, I can't get out. You say you love me, and by grace you have paid the price. And Lord, pull me. And God in his big, righteous, wonderful, in Christ just raises up, lifts us, and seats us with him. All for his glory. Have you done that? Do you know Jesus Christ, not just the facts about him, but as your Savior? Get the Savior? You and I need saving. And he is the Savior. He rose from the dead to prove that he is God in the flesh, the one who came down, the incarnate Son of God who came to pay the price for you and me to save us. Do you know him? Do you know him? Because if you don't, you are in a peck of trouble, and I love you enough to tell you that. You're in a peck of trouble. You are a child of wrath. You are a son or daughter of disobedience. You're separated from God, and I don't want that to happen. 
And it doesn't have to. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Uh, 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 mm. What a gift. Well, let's close up. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. I would say so. Being made alive and raised and seated. Who did that? Oh, yeah. My Savior. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen, the good works don't get us there. But boy, after we're there, let me put it this way. We have been in utter separation from God. Now we are raised up, seated with him, raised with him, alive with him. And I'm like, okay, that life, this life. I'm loving this life. I'm loving the realities of this life. And when I look at that life and I look at this life, I'm like, I want to do this life. This is so much cooler, isn't it? I mean, there's so much better deal going on here in this life. I want to work for Jesus in this life because I would be a total lunatic to want to keep going back. But isn't it interesting, friends, how we just keep going? Isn't it? Listen, saved does not mean without the struggle. We'll be talking later on about progressive sanctification. We're growing and changing to be like Christ. We're in his house. It's his house. But man, we've got the habits of this within us from learned, from everything. And now it's about putting off and putting on and changing our thinking to become what a person in this house is supposed to be like. And by the way, it's not like, oh, bummer. It's like totally rock, totally cool. Oh, man, this is great. Are you an idea I'm kind of excited about this stuff today? Listen, small sin equates to small grace. If we have a small view of sin, we have a small view of God's grace. How big is your view of your sin? How big? I'm serious. Oops, God, sorry. Oops, silly me. God, oopsie. Oopsie. Um, it's pretty serious. In fact, God sends people to hell because of their unredeemed sin. Do you know Jesus? I started out this morning just making mention about uh, two ways to respond today. One is I've been praying all week that this would connect. And maybe for you, you're one who's been like this whole God thing, Bible thing, Jesus thing. I don't know if I'm quite getting it. I don't know if it's what it's all about. Can I just say this? This is what it's all about. This is it. I mean, this is, this is what it's all about. Bad news, you were dead. Uh, but there's great news. Uh, God came along. And then there's a great opportunity. There's an opportunity to, for you to show his grace by coming to know him as your savior and getting on and doing life for God. Hey, this isn't just about the golden ticket of heaven. In fact, friends, some of our, our evangelism is really weak because we give the idea it's just about getting into heaven. It's way bigger than that. It's about today. 
It's about life at home different, life at work different, life at work everywhere different. Friends, this is great news, isn't it? There is a God who can save us. And so for you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I just want to say, would you come to know Christ as your Savior today? Just bow your head at sometime today, or we're going to have a couple people up here. We're going to have the clerks are going to be up here. Karen and I are going to be up here after the service. If you want to come and just ask us some more about this, say, Doug, I want to pray and receive Christ. You can do it then. You can do it now and just say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm verses 1 through 3. But God, would you come into my life and remove my sin and put me with you so that I can live for you and show your grace? You could do that now. Right now, just do it right now. Would you just have a talk with God? And for others who have done that, I just hope today was a really Willie Randolph first day. You're going, oh my goodness, you know what? I forgot what's in my warehouse. And you know what? It's so much better than I remembered. It's so cool. God loves me. He saved me. He raised me. He seated me. What in the world am I doing being like that when I'm over here? Oh, God, you're good, isn't he? God, you're good. Let's pray. God, we started out this morning actually with the sermon earlier than normal for this reason so that we could have extra time at the end to sing and rejoice in what you've done. Well, God, we're going to have some songs. We're going to have some things right now that just allow us to respond in you. And God, I pray we don't respond in mamsy, pamsy. That's nice. But I pray, God, would we respond in our hearts and in our minds and in our voices as ones who look and ones who say that now I was once a prince of the of the Satan of the world, but now he is my king. He is my king. Amen.